Hello, welcome to Culture Fear. 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 That song does my head in, but let's put that to one side, shall we? Hello, welcome to Culture Fear. If it's your first time tuning in, thank you. If you're coming back, then thanks so much for coming back. Um, I'm going to start trying to do these intros in like one take. Just uh, ramble, see where it goes, and then uh, call it um, as and when I see fit. So I'm just letting you know that it's probably going to be rubbish for the first year or two, but then maybe I'll get into a stride. Um, first off, just want to talk about last episode with, uh, with Dose. Thanks so much if you listen to that. I've had a ton of feedback, which has been like amazing, really. So many people, um, every other member of um, his band Sprain had got in touch and talked to me about certain things. Um, all like pretty positive, which was great. So that was cool. Um, and I was a bit worried because it was probably, probably my favourite conversation that I had. And listening back to it is probably my favourite listening back as well. And I was just a bit worried that that wouldn't translate over. But it seems that it did for the people that told me anyway. Um, so that was um, a weight off my chest. And also like great that people were getting stuff from it. I guess when you're talking about the stuff like Dose is talking about, which is, I guess, um, creative stuff, kind of struggling with your identity and what you want from creative stuff when and like when creativity is the thing that you enjoy most and you stop enjoying it it can be quite hard and I've felt that myself like why am I not enjoying it and can I talk to my friends about the fact that it's not the same as it was maybe it'll just come back and I guess those had a lot about that and I think maybe people get it from different aspects in their life um, so hopefully that was something that people resonated with or with any of it or it was just a nice conversation but yeah thanks so much for listening I did end up putting a Facebook ad, um, paid Facebook to push it a little bit more um, so if that was your first time listening and you've come back then thanks so much um, it's interesting I thought I'd do it because when I thought about starting this podcast, my main aim, or what I thought would be cool, would be if I managed to at some point get 100 listens of an episode, and for my friends to talk to me about it really, to make interactions with friends mainly, I didn't really expect anyone that wasn't a friend to listen, and it, it did both those things within the first week of the first episode, so since then I've kind of felt it was like everything was just a plus everything's been a plus since then um so with paying for every i can experiment i guess i can experiment now which which is what putting that money towards facebook was i won't be doing it well maybe never again but definitely not for a while because i can't really afford it but it's interesting because part of me thinks well i have my hundred listeners or more which is nice and my friends seem to enjoy it and also amazingly people that I haven't met before 
have got in contact and said they've enjoyed it. Um, so like where, so do I need to do anything more? But then I think if I do spend 20 pound and one person who hadn't heard of it listens to it, is it worth it? Well, in a way, I guess it is because that's really cool. I mean, it would be worth it if I had 20 pounds to throw away, which I don't. But um, yeah, and there was a guy actually who contacted me and um, like said he listened back to like um, the the podcast I did with Liam about our favourite records of the year and listened to loads of that stuff, which was really, really nice that he like messaged and it's, yeah, brilliant. But um, yeah, it's something that I really contend with a lot, like... How, like I remember I was in a band with Liam who records engineers this podcast and I remember um, I'm sure we put a record out and I was always back and forth of how do we get as many people to listen to it as possible and where does that line like come and I'm sure that the label that put our record out won't mind us saying that like we bought that record off the label for £8 and on the first tour of the record we um we made like some trans- tattoos, transfers, and badges and stuff, which cost about two pound fifty on that. But <clears throat> we sold the record for a tenner, and I, I guess I remember talking to Liam and the other members of the band because we were advised to sell the record for twelve pound. Which, of course, if we were selling the record for twelve pound, meant that we'd make, would make you know a good amount on it, and we could do more cool stuff. But then I always think. What if someone came to the show and £10 and £12 to me is a lot, is a big difference when it comes to a record. Um, it's a difference in, oh yeah, that, they were cool, I'll pick that up. And yeah, they were cool, I'll um, check it out sometime and then, you know, you might get home and you forget. So um, we, we kept it at a tenner. I don't know if anyone bought the record that wouldn't have. Um, and if they didn't, that's cool as well. But it's just always interesting, really. Like, where does the line go from people that can't... Yeah, where do you stop, I guess? Um, Like, where do you... Like, I don't feel like we were cutting off our nose by doing that. Not that that's the right phrase for it, but um, by doing that. Because, like I said, if one person out of however many people bought our record wouldn't have been able to because they couldn't afford it or they just wouldn't have been like they would have said no 12 pounds too much then for me that's worth it because we made that record well we released that record because we wanted as many people to hear it as possible so this next podcast is with um an old uh, friend i guess i've known him probably around oh, eight years now uh tim um he is a mainstay of the london hardcore scene for me you know, if I went to a show and Tim was there, I was like, cool, I'm going to see some good bands tonight. Um, his record taste in so much, but uh, the punk sub-genre, the, well, the sub, yeah, is incredible. Um, you know, I could ask him about, um, you know, we'd be at a, a Crush show and then we'd start talking about a, a band like Moving Targets and we'd just talk forever and he'd be telling me this like mad story about how he saw them and like, you know, it's, he's a real encyclopedia. So to sit down and talk to him was great. Um, hopefully, um, Kai is going to send through a little uh, intro of herself 
um, talking about Tim, but if she doesn't, I just want to say, so Kai, who um, I had a conversation with on the second episode, is uh, comes in because she wanted to talk, she wanted to ask Tim questions, um, which she does, and I'm so glad that she did, because she asked some brilliant questions, and it was nice to share that, and I spoke to Kai before, and she said, you know, like, people like Tim, like, hope, you know, they need their story told because they have story, a story that is, like, great. Um, so I'm glad that we did that. Um, hopefully you'll enjoy um, the conversation. Like, I can't see why you wouldn't because he's an incredible storyteller and his stories are amazing as well. So it's, like, perfect. But, yeah, so thank you. Um, get in contact if you fancy. Um, shoot me some questions if you want me to answer anything. But yeah, um, here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy it and I'll catch you soon. Sweet. So, hello, Kai. Hello. And hello, Tim. How are you doing, Tim? Hey, Sean. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Have yeah. you been up to much? Um, um, nothing much that comes to mind, to be honest. <laughs> That's a lie. Keeping warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For anyone listening, um, it's Snowmageddon at the moment Yeah. in London. Beast from the East. <laughs> I thought he was a boxer that fought Klitschko. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so, yeah, what have you been up to this year, early as it is? Um, well, punk-wise, nothing much at all, because I don't think there's been anything on, apart from Free, just after Christmas, that was really good, actually. Free, the Discord band? No, free as in F R E E. The oh, okay. the Have Heart people's new band. Oh yeah. It's like sort of Have Heart for older people, I think. They've <laughs> <laughs> grown up. Have Heart all grown up. <laughs> How were they? They were surprisingly good, actually. I was quite impressed. It was like the day after Boxing Day, which seemed a really weird day for a kid. Mm. Yeah, I guess they're older now, so they have to take the time off when they get it. Off That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so um, let's start at the beginning then. So where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Winchester, which is like a small town, about 60 miles from London, 10 miles from Southampton. So classic sort of small town England, really. Okay, yeah. yeah. Cool. And what was that like... Um, Parents, siblings, or yeah, what's the situation? Yeah, yeah I've got two two younger brothers, and uh, quite quite an unusual upbringing in some respects, I think, because my father was a bit of a kind of religious nutter and used to preach in the street around the town. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. I didn't know this. And, and kids used to say to me, your dad said I'm going to hell if I don't <laughs> repent. And I, I mean, with hindsight, he might have been right about some of them. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's a small town, so everyone knew. Everyone knew. Everyone knew. <laughs> There's Tim, the guy whose dad's a preacher that tells everyone they're going to hell. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of interesting. And, of course, uh, you know, we had a bit of a problem, me and my dad, bef- before punk came along. But then when punk came along, we had a big problem. <laughs> yeah. What was um, what was before punk? Was was Did your dad like or listen to any music? No, he, he, I think he had some old classical records that played on uh, what was the old speed, you know. Uh, he had, like, some old record player and... And I, I, I did. I mean, I wasn't really exposed to much in the way of music, just top of the pops kind of rubbish. 
And then a bit before punk, I got in with this older kid up the road. I was off school because I broke my leg. And he was, I think about 16. And he was off school. He was in the last year of school and he was off school for some reason or another. But he was a glam kid. Okay. Mm. And when? how old was you at this point? I must have been about nine, ten. And what year would that have been, do you reckon? So that would have been about 74, 75. Yeah, yeah. And he was into things like Mark Bolan, you know, and T-Rex. T-Rex and stuff, yeah. And David Bowie he was into. So, and I I kind of, you know, I used to see these guys around the town, you know, they they with their kind of glam gear on and and the long hair look. and, And I never really particularly liked it necessarily as a look. But I knew they were different. Yeah. I knew there was something edgy about them. They were into something that everyone else wasn't into. And that was kind of attractive to me in a way. And so when I when I was hanging out off school, we were playing darts. Because back then, everyone had a dartboard. Mm. Every house had a dartboard. And he was like hanging out doing nothing. I think he had a broken arm. In fact, I'm pretty sure that was it. He had a broken arm, his left arm, and I had a broken right leg. <laughs> so we try and play darts. Well, <laughs> we hope that one is throwing arm. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. Luckily, it wasn't his throwing arm. But he had to get the darts out the dartboard because of my leg. And and he would play these records on this old beat up record player. And and he would talk to me about you know this kind of music and what they got up to. You know the kind of scene around it. And and I kind of thought, oh, this sounds so cool. But at the same time, I knew I was too young. Yeah. I was just too young to be a part of it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was too, uh, I was too young to be able to really relate. Mm. And I knew that, like, he was being friendly to me because he was off school and he had nothing to do <laughs> and playing darts with the kid down the road and, you know, going something. But I knew we weren't really friend friends. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. he was years older than me. Yeah. And, and as soon as his arm was union. better, you know, he, he'd probably say hello to me and that'd be it. Yeah. You know? But it was like the first thing I think that I felt I had a real interest in music in. Yeah, yeah, you remember that as quite yeah. pivotal when you look back in yeah. hindsight. Yeah, I think so. It, 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 looking back, I can see I was attracted to things that everyone else wasn't into. Yeah, subcultures. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, glam was a subculture back yeah. then, right? Yeah, yeah. Because obviously you look and you see, you think T-Rex and David Bowie, two yeah. of the biggest bands ever. But it wasn't necessarily... no. Okay. Especially growing up in a conservative cathedral town like Winchester, <laughs> glam people stood out. You yeah, know? They, they probably got quite a lot of stick. I think. Yeah. Dad probably told them they were going to hell. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, when did you start finding your own way? Then, do you think? Well, I think it was. It was. Because when I was when I was a kid at school, I mean, it sounds like a bit of a tragedy tale, but I never really had friends at school. I was just this bit of a crazy kid, and everyone kept away from me because they they did, I think they all thought I was crazy because they older kids wanted to pick fights with me, okay? Because I was big for my age, and back then everyone wanted, everyone wanted to know who was the toughest in the boys scene. It was who's the toughest. And and so got older kids in the school would always pick fights. And I would quite often win because I was big. Which meant more of them would pick Which on you. Which made more of them would then pick. <laughs> and so I would hang about on my own, basically. And, yeah. and then, I, you know, I think it was around, it must have been around the last year of junior school, which was a year punk broke. 
Yeah. And it was the first time I started to make friends, which was with the other crazy kids. Yeah. That had a little gang of crazy kids, and they kind of invited me to join because <laughs> yeah. I was crazy enough to be in their gang. Yeah. You know? And then, and then I got exposed to punk through one of these kids' older brothers. And when it kept, when it started, he got into it straight away. Yeah. And he exposed his brother to it and me to it. And we were like, oh, my God, you know, and, and we were listening to this stuff on tapes and things. What bands were, were there at this point? What bands were they? Well, there was, there was like, the, by this point, the Pistols were going. It was prior to them having many records out, but they, they were going, and a few of the other big-name bands were already going. And, and older kids were already trading tapes mm. and, yeah. and live tapes and stuff like that. Yeah. And then there was a local band started in the art college, actually, called The Erections, who were the first Winchester punk band, even though none of them were from Winchester. <laughs> they were all in art college at Winchester. <laughs> And then soon after that, a lot of Winchester bands formed, like the Sterile Androids, the Lobots, and a whole load of bands. But we were like 12 years old, you know, yeah. me and this other kid that I was mates with. And so we, you know, we, we, we knew we were into it, but we didn't know any, and we knew his brother was into it, yeah. and actually his older sister as well. God knows what his mum and dad thought, like, <laughs> don't deserve it. <laughs> But you didn't know who else was into it at this point. So what you they, you started to get people selling badges. Yeah. And that was like the way you, you buy a couple of badges with punk band names. So you get a nod on. down the street. You get a nod down. Everyone then knows. You know, people are looking at each other yeah. to see who's into it, who's not into it. And it was like this weird, almost like sort of Freemasonry <laughs> <Yeah>. or something. <laughs> you know, you could because you're all in like school uniforms and you know. And and back then, you know, a lot of kids had short hair, either long hair or short hair. It was always extremes. Yeah. yeah. I had I had short hair because my mum wouldn't let me have long hair. And so when punk came along, it was it was kind of naturally right for me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I guess um because there's always those stories about all those like glam rockers and those pub. Pub rock was like the thing as well just yeah. before, wouldn't they? Yeah, and then yeah. They saw like the pistols and just cut yeah. the hair off and started playing yeah. a bit differently. And then you had bands like Eddie and the Hot Rods got on top of the pops, mm. doing the, like do anything you want to do, you know. That, so so that kind of pre-punk thing was sort of becoming more punk in a way, and yeah. the whole thing was kind of it was such an interesting time, and I, and I was just old enough, yeah, okay, to feel like I could kind of get into it. It was like I was still, and, and so what you ended up happening with in Winchester, which is probably the same for a lot of small towns, was you had a load of young kids that would hang together, and then you had older kids, and they would hang together, and they could do more. They could be in bands, <laughs> they could go to gigs in, you know, cities on the train and things like that, yeah. you know. And you were like the little kiddie. They used to call us the baby punks and things like that, <laughs> really derogatory terms. <laughs> and they kind of used to like humour us, humour us, because we were kind of, you know, we had something in common with us. But you know, uh, uh, that you know, a couple of years, two, three years makes yeah. all the difference. difference. They're feeling you out, oh, checking yeah, that you're yeah, not yeah, posing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it didn't help that one of my mates was one of the older kids' kids' brother. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And then, and then when we went to like the the comprehensive school. I was I went to this comprehensive school where there, it was kind of in the middle of all these estates, so all these different punk kids from all these different estates were at the same school. Yeah, and so you started to form these bonds on the fact that you were into punk, and everyone had the name like their estate 
had yeah. like the name crew on the end. <laughs> so you had like, I was part of the Hairstock crew, <laughs> which was really an amalgam of the Weak Estate and Hairstock Estate and surrounding areas. And then you had the Winchester crew proper, which were the older people. Okay. Because we, we didn't really go into town much. We just hung around in our area. Yeah. And then you had the Stammel crew, the Highcliffe high crew. And, yeah. And, and you just naturally, like, you know, it didn't matter anything except for the fact that the, you knew other people that were into punk. Yeah. It didn't matter really anything beyond that, whether they were poor or rich, really. I mean, mostly when I think back about it, most of the kids that were into it were either working-class kids or middle-class kids. And all of them, when I think back on it, were kind of damaged in some way yeah. or another. Yeah. And I think you, you knew that. Instinctively, you knew that. You were all a bit damaged and you all were looking for somewhere to call home. Mm. And then everyone found that. Yeah. Because it, it was easy to be like, wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And then, you know, you'd, you'd cut your hair really short and you'd put bleach in it and, you know, and you'd, you'd wear like, you know you tie with like a really small knot whereas all the other kids had these big silly knots with a tiny tie <laughs> and you'd have this kind of punk look a bit like Joe Strummer on the first Clash album you know with the yeah. top button undone and this small knot tie yeah. so you kind of had these little signs you know that what was secret so, society yeah yeah, yeah 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 I bet the teachers come back after summer one year and thought what's happened yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well we had a music teacher called Mr Clark who'd already, turns out, been thrown out of two other schools for violence against children. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he hated punk. He, he pathologically hated punk. And he would, like, sometimes bring it up in music class. And he'd go, oh, the Sex Pistols are complete, you know, animals, they're this, Anti-music. And, and what, you'd, what you'd do is you'd walk behind him in the corridor a bit back and you'd shout... Sex pistols. <laughs> and he'd turn around and he'd run. And if he thought it was you, he would punch you to the ground and start oh beating you God, up. And other him. teachers used to pull him off. That was how much this guy hated punk. <laughs> wow. He, yeah. I mean, people hated it. I don't think people realise now what the reaction to punk was. Yeah. It was so extreme. It's kind of romanticised now. You get yeah, all sorts yeah, of companies yeah. and like yeah, it, yeah, as a yeah. fashion, but back yeah. then it really was like this. I mean, we, we couldn't go into town, into the town, except for in a big gang. Really? Because you weren't safe. You, yeah. Wow. I mean, I remember once going home from town on my own and I went in the public toilet to have a pee. And a biker gang walked in after me and beat the fuck out of me in the toilet. So at this time, yeah. was everyone in their own subculture? Yeah, it was like tribal. Everyone had their, it was yeah, tribal. tribal. That's it was a tribe. Yeah. And I mean, you had the guys, you know, you had all the tribes everyone knows, but then you had what we used to call the casuals. Yeah. Who just used to wear like, like um, you know, polar neck shirt and stuff mm -hmm. like that and drive four Tinas and four Capris and all yeah. that. And they tended to be right-wing, quite reactionary. They often, like, if they had left school, they were often builders. Yeah. And they were kind of, you know, they became Thatcher's constituency, her working-class constituency mm. in a way. Yeah. And they hated punks. They hated punks. So everyone was out to get you, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did Winchester have punk shows? Because there's yeah. punk bands yeah. Coming up, yeah, yeah, we had we had quite regular ones, but mostly they were in village halls around the edge of the town because you couldn't get vent. No one would put you on in the yeah. town. Yeah, so someone, one of the older guys, would would rent a village hall, and then all the the bands would quite often all walk 
from the town, like five, six miles, <laughs> yeah. to the venue carrying guitars and drums. And, and you'd have this long, drawn-out procession of about 100 kids down these little country lanes with dyed hair and shit, carrying instruments. Yeah. It, it was bizarre. <laughs> so every... So obviously there's there's so many of those 77, 78 punk bands that yeah. we know about and you watch the documentaries or you read yeah. about, but... A lot, mo- a lot of town, most places had their own little punk scenes yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just the bands that... Y- there was, like, everywhere. No, there exactly. Was- and most of, most of them from Winchester are unknown. There was, there was a band called the Dead Heroes, or a bit later. They were about 1980, 81. They got a demo out, which is on a bootleg album called Ear Splitting Noise that came out in, in Italy. Wow. I brought Random. it and I showed it to the bass player. And she was like... <laughs> Oh my God, we're on vinyl! <laughs> How did this happen? That's amazing. But we, I suppose the famous band that we had a connection to in Winchester was the drummer of the Mental was a Winchester guy. The Mental was Dick from the Subhumans' first yeah. band. Okay, and that was one of the first bands I saw at the Milner Hall in Winchester, in I think '78. Yeah. 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 So would all of the Winchester punks go to Southampton to see? Yeah. Like the bigger. Yeah, bands and yeah. stuff like that. So the Clash played in Southampton Gomont. Southampton Gomont was the big venue. Yeah, and you'd have the big name punk bands, and then you'd often have maybe support bands, you know, from the local area. We had a band that became the Men They Couldn't Hang, that were from Southampton. Yeah, they they started off as like a punk band in Southampton, became the Men They Couldn't Hang. They often supported some of the bigger bands. But but Crass played in Southampton in I think it was seventy nine I think it was yeah which was the turning point for me that, that was yeah. yeah yeah that was really it but it's like because then it was like yeah I'm a punk kid but this is my punk <laughs> yeah you know, the older guys they've had their punk yeah you know? okay now now we've got our punk yeah and you, you know? were happy to go did you were you already Align with some of the politics with Crass, or yeah. were they, did they open that up a lot for you? They opened well? it up a lot more. Okay. Opened it up a lot more. But I was always into the political bands. Like, like I loved the first Clash album. Yeah, I just loved that kind of London vibe it's got. But I loved the politics and the kind of. I mean, all right, they were a bit posers, but at least they were <laughs> some kind of political pose, you know, rather than just some sort of idiot pose. Yeah, and and I think that you know, for me, I was always kind of like. Injustice was always this big thing, this big theme for me. Yeah. And, you know, I can remember at school, you know, getting, like, whacked around by teachers for sticking up for some kid that was nothing to do with me. I'd just (laughs) get involved because I felt it wasn't right. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, if you like that, and, 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 you know, it's no surprise that many of the kids that got into punk had an issue in social justice, social causes. I think they were kids that... Not only had they maybe suffered in certain ways, but they rep- they recognised that there was a lot of unfairness, there was yeah. a lot of problems. It wasn't just a personal thing. It wasn't just a personal thing, and you knew that. And that's why, you know, right from the early days, you know, punks got involved in things, but particularly with that kind of end of the first wave, beginning of the second wave, with the crass period kicking in. Yeah. And then it was, right, well, you know, this is our punk. Yeah. We're old enough now. We can travel the gigs. We can bunk the train, hitchhike, you know. I mean, you're like, you know, 14, 15 years old by this kind of time. 
So you, you, realistically, you can actually get away, you know, from yeah. your hometown a bit. Yeah, so I think I've spoken to you before about... Um, were you ever in, like, the Isle of Wight when Crash played there? Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. We, and, and we couldn't get home that night. And we had to, everyone was burning deck chairs on the beach. <laughs> say, well, and the police basically arrested the whole beach for the pub <laughs> and just, like, escorted them off on the ferry the next morning. They sort of cordoned us onto a beach. <laughs> But well, this we, is the thing, you know, you just you just sort of fuck school, crash are playing in the Isle of Wight, and yeah. you just all hitchhike to the Isle of Wight. What were your parents saying at this point? Because now you're, like, fully embedded into it. You're yeah. travelling up for these shows. Yeah. You're a part of this. Well, movement. but the trouble is you're still only 14, 15 years old. Mm. So so you know, you know you when you get home, you're going to pay a price, yeah. you know, a serious <laughs> price. So Especially when you didn't come home. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I mean, we never had a telephone. So it wasn't like I could ring up and say, I'm in the Isle of Wight watching Crass, which I would never have said anyway. <laughs> that would have made it worse. But, you know, you you just say, oh, yeah, I stayed over at a friend or whatever. Mm. But, you know, you, you knew you were going to get, you know, a real hiding, real hiding when you got in. But, you know, that was the, that was the, the deal you made with yourself. Yeah. Is it worth it? 100%. It, yeah. You know, and it was always 100%. And some of my mates, they would go, I'm not coming. I'm not going. I don't want to get hiding with that, you know, the next day. And I thought, I can take it. I can take it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen crowds. I don't, you know, do what you want. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of. But there was a. I think this was a period where, where the kind of my home life broke down pretty much completely. Because there was this thing where the police were arresting us for all sorts of stupid nonsense. You know, they would just come around the local shops and just, like, start picking on you. And it would get kind of a bit heavy, and then they would arrest people. It was always me getting nicked for some reason. Because you were the big lad. I was the big lad. They knew who I was. I was, like, the, the known face to them. And so I was always the one that was nicked. And And my dad said to me, the next time you get nicked, I'm going to break your record collection because it's the devil's influence. That's what they genuinely believe. So, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, oh, he won't do it. He wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? But then, but then a load of people, that a group of kids I knew that I hung out with, they got arrested for stealing records when they, in Southampton. And, and somehow my name got dropped into it. And that was nothing to do with it. I wasn't even there. Yeah. But my name, my name got dropped and the police turned up around my dad. I didn't know nothing about any of it. I'm happily there in town, you know. I'm, we had this statue called the Buttercross, which had these steps and all the punks used to hang about there. And I'm sat there with a few mates and suddenly my dad comes up just punches me in the face, grabs hold of me, <laughs> drags me home. And I'm like, what the fuck? And he goes, look in the dustbin. Oh, and, I'm in the dustbin. and there was my whole record collection in this. And you got to remember, I was like doing paper rounds. Oh. I, was doing, I was doing everything I could to buy records every Saturday. Yeah. That was yeah. what all my money was going on, was records. And they were all like, all these seven inches, all the covers ripped. And, you know, it's like... So I ran away from home for about a month. I was just staying really? in garages. and stuff. In Winchester? Yeah, around Winchester, yeah. And it was funny because eventually when I got found, the police found me, and I had to go and see the headmaster at school, and I, and I thought, what am I going to tell? You know, what am I going to say? You know, Because I didn't want to tell him this whole story. Yeah. You know? mm. And the headmaster was, like, weirdly not too bad. We had, like, awful violent teachers, but the headmaster was kind of okay-ish. And he said, why did, why did you run away? And I said, 
I'm really scared about nuclear war. <laughs> and, and, and that we're all going to die. And then there's no point in studying and trying out of school. Anyway, I totally understand. So it's a legitimate concern. It's very difficult for your generation growing up with this threat. And then the next day, he did this whole school assembly about me. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, I spoke to a very troubled young man. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of you boys are thinking the same thing. Because I was at this all-boys comp. The girls' comp was next door. And it was, uh, it was kind of a weird school. It was quite violent and aggressive and male. And everyone's there going, whacking me in the head, going, that's you he's talking about. <laughs> oh, that is Good brilliant. thinking on your feet, though. I know, I know. But, you know, it wasn't like I made the whole thing up. I mean, you know, you know there's a... One of the reasons, I believe, why punk was so kind of nihilistic on one level was because we grew up with that going on. Constant threat. Mm. Yeah, recession, no mm. jobs, and the threat of nuclear war. You yeah. Know? I mean, it was a particular time in history, you know. Yeah. If AIDS don't get you, then the warheads will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, um, so did you go back home for a while? Or was it kind of that was kind of the yeah. end of you being? I, I made this vow to myself. I thought the minute the minute I'm, I'm I leave school, I'm gone. Yeah, and that's exactly what I did. Yeah, and I knew I would go to London because I always wanted to go to London. Yeah, did you had you been going to London for gigs and stuff yeah. before that? Yeah, we were bunking the train up and hitchhiking up by this point, you know. And we were going to see, you know, I was you know I was going to see, going up on a, maybe a Friday night, coming back sometime on a Sunday, and things. So, like. so where would you so? Would you be going to pardon me, gigs every night or would you be hanging out with punks in different places? Because this was like, I guess, like you were saying, Crass as well. Was this was there like a big squat scene at the time? Yeah, yeah. There was, a, there was quite a big squat scene. And, and the good thing about it was because so many kids, if you went to one of the kind of Crass-type shows, yeah. most or a lot of those kids were squatting. So you could just talk to people and you say, "Can I stay at your squat?" And you would just you just meet people and stay mm. at their squats. Yeah, you know, occasionally you'd end up at Waterloo waiting for the milk train back, <laughs> with, which was a pretty scary thing because you used to have gangs of kids or guys going through Waterloo mugging people back. Jesus, then. Yeah. It, was, it was kind of a heavy time. You know? Yeah. You know, and you didn't want to be on your own at Waterloo in the middle of the night, I can tell you. Tim, listening to this, I can't believe you've lived through all this. <laughs> Do you know what, what I think saved me was my utter naivety. Yeah. Somehow I think it came, I was incredibly naive, despite going through all this mad stuff. But I also kind of was slightly invincible in a certain yeah. way. I just had this feeling I was. And, and things, you know, even if I got beat up, I was a big, strong kid, so I just bounced back from mm. it. Yeah, well, it sounds like you weren't shy of a knock or two back from your old man. Well, that's Maybe the Maybe th when think... you really went out of line, so it's not like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It kind of makes you a bit... You're able to take the knocks. Where, what, yeah, yeah, other people with different... Might be, yeah. you know, the kids that weren't going to see Crass because they were worried about their parents yeah. probably weren't up for sleeping on the floor at Waterloo because they were worried about other people. It's true. Well, I remember when we first saw Crass at Shirley in Southampton, these skinheads turned up and started laying into loads of people. And there was a big fight. And some of the kids I was with ran out. They they, 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 they ran out of the gig. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I could, I could kind of get it why they did. But, I mean, even, you know, there was no way I was going to miss Crass. I mean, I'm like, oh, I don't care about bloody skinheads. This is Crass. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then, and then when we went, to the, a load of us went up, we hitchhiked to Bracknell to, on the Apocalypse Now tour to see see Discharge, because I, I wanted to see Discharge. Yeah. Some of the other guys were into some of the other bands, like Exploited and Cron Jam and that. But for me, it was Discharge. And, and this was in 1981. And, and they played in this leisure centre in, in Bracknell. And there was literally about 200 skinheads, and they were literally beating the life out of people. And, and, and Discharge hadn't come on. You yeah. Know? And, and my mates are going, we're going. We're going to sleep in that wood over the way. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm not going. Discharge haven't come on. And they're going, well, all right, Tim, we're, we're leaving you, man. You, you, you know, you're here on your own. So I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going without seeing Discharge. <laughs> yeah. And I think I just had this kind of naivety. You know, I, I just never thought I was something terrible would happen. Yeah. Would the bands acknowledge that this was happening? Well, the Exploited often used to stir it up. Really? I, I remember a Lyceum Exploited gig where they said, who out there likes crass in a Scottish accent, which yeah. I can't do. <laughs> and, and anyone that put their hands up, the skinheads jumped them. Yeah. So they totally set right. it up. You know, they hated crass. Yeah. So that's the thing is even within punk, you know, you had this thing like kids that were really into crass were often kind of hated by lots of people, you know. I mean, I was up for the politics of it, but I never quite got the pacifist thing. Yeah. I got it as an ideal. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, violence is a terrible, ugly thing. But when you're faced with it in those yeah. scenarios, what can you... I, I never saw that, you know, I didn't see any alternative but to defend yourselves, mm. you know. And this became then the big debate within the anarchist punk scene at a certain point. And, and it turned around and... You know, those groups that ended up being, you know, the people that started class war and and, and people like Conflict and, and the Apostles, you know, they were saying, you know, we can't be just be passive yeah. in the face of violence. You know? Yeah. And so it did start to turn around. You know? Yeah, yeah. So when you, um, you moved up to London, mm. what was... Did you know where you were staying or did you just pack your bag and just get on the train and see I what's... knew some people, so I was just staying in different squats. I first of all stayed with this Asian kid called Mark that I knew from that scene, but I don't know what happened to him. I've, yeah. I've lost touch with him, you know, years and years and years ago. And and he was living in this house on his own. It was like this huge house. Wow. And it just had water running down the walls. No electric, <laughs> nothing. And it, was, it was really grim. But he was cool. And we used to hang out, go shoplifting in the day. And and, and then in the evening, we'd go to a gig. Yeah. And I, and I remember when Crash did a little tour around London. We'd turn up early and help them set up. And they would buy us a few drinks and... Yeah. Bag of chips and <laughs> it was yeah, kind yeah. of fun. and you just got to know all sorts of people, you know. It was, it was cool. What were, what were the venues at this time? Like, what, was there a spot? Because in London, you'll say like now for punk shows, they're either at this place or this place. There's not like a myriad of places where gigs happen. But back then, was there, there, like there was one? a lot, a lot of venues. Yeah, there was a lot of different venues all all over London, you know. And, and I mean, I, I talk to Sean from Hardskin sometimes about, you know, these venues, and he can remember all their names mm. <clears throat> and where they were. I can't, My memory's so bad. But you used to be going to different venues all the time. Right. And then sometimes they put on punk shows at that particular pub for a while, and then the pub would, would say no more. <laughs> and it, it was often literally because skinheads would come right. to, to beat you up. Because you've got to remember the British movement targeted the crass scene at this time. 
you know, violently targeted. Yeah. So they would come to literally to turn the gig over. And so you can't, you can't, well, you can't blame landlords. But also the police would come round when Crass were going to play in London. The police would come and threaten the landlord. Wow. And so you, you want to get your licence renewed next time round. And that's what they would do all the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the guy's livelihood. You, you know, he's... Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, not... he, he's not really into crass, probably. It's just another <laughs> gig, you know. Yeah. So that's what they did, you know. It was quite quite a weird time. But I also used to go to some of the bigger shows, you know, Lyceum shows and uh, Rainbow and, you know, places like that. I was into some of the bigger bands. I liked Angelic Upstarts. Um, I didn't even mind Cronjem, actually. I quite, I quite like that kind of guitar-driven thing. And so I'd just go along to some of those shows. Yeah. You weren't snobby about it, though? No, no. I mean, it wasn't really my scene, exactly. Mm. I liked the more small DIY scene. But I remember seeing Zounds play with the Exploited, bizarrely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were on the bottom of the bill with the Exploited, <laughs> which is weird. I took the singer of Zounds quite a few years back. But he went, well, you weren't that. That was so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we did that. <laughs> Who were the bands like then? Then so was it mid eighties when you went you went up to London? Well, it must have been. Well, I was six, early. I was sixteen, so my I was born in sixty five, so that's seventy five. That's about eighty one, eighty two. Yeah. Okay. That time. And and I was also going back to Winchester area a lot because there was a squat scene in Winchester then. Oh wow. Quite a big one, yeah. actually. And there was quite a thriving punk scene in Winchester, Southampton, Fareham, Portsmouth. You had Polemic from, from Fareham. You had quite a few bands from Portsmouth. So there was there was this kind of scene, and you would just literally hitchhike backwards and forwards to see bands. I would go to places like Yeovil to see the mob or subhuman. Wow. Or, <laughs> you know, you literally used to hitchhike. And you used to see people you know, names on the back of signposts. Okay. I remember saying to Mark from the Mob one time at a show, I saw your name on this signpost by so and so and so. He went, We were there for hours, hours. <laughs> you know, you just you just like writing in marker pen on signposts and, and so you oh so and so was stuck here for hours as well, you know. <laughs> it, it, it was a hitchhiking was a really, really like viable means of travelling. Yeah. There. And there was like obviously now, I mean it just wouldn't happen really really. No, no. But like it was never like a weird thing to obviously not a weird thing to do, but it was never like any weird instances from it or anything like that. Not to me personally. Yeah. I mean, I know people that did have problems, but there'll be like people that will happily stop and let these all these punks get yeah. in the car. One one night by midnight, me and a mate of mine, and you got to remember, we have Mohicans, yeah, ripped up leathers, and you know, and we're there about midnight on this lay by pitch black, and a little old lady pulled up in her car. And took us to her house and put us up for the night. Wow! I mean, could you ever imagine that happening now? Yeah, I mean, there must be people like that, but you just wouldn't get the circumstance no. to, for it to happen. No. Yeah. No. She said to me, "You remind me of my grandson. Oh. He looks like you." Oh. So she, she had a Stop. grandson that was a fucker. Oh. You know, we were like, me and my mate, we were like, oh my god. You know, we were like, <laughs> <laughs> we were there freezing and it was labour. And then yeah. she took us the next day, took us back, and we got a lift quite quickly. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> um, so how long were you squatting for? 
many, many years. Yeah. Many, many years. And, you, you know, you used to... It was like a different time. So even people that weren't squatting, they were maybe living in bed sits and whatever. But a lot of people just worked in the black economy. Like, you would work on building sites mm. and get paid in cash. Yeah. You know, I didn't know anyone <clears throat> that really had a proper job. Yeah. And so you could you could go off and do stuff, and then you'd come back and get a job on a building site, and then go off again, you know, and you could come back and get another job just like that. So you were either signing on. I mean, when I first was squatting, I couldn't sign on because I was too young. Wow. There was this law that meant you had to wait till I think it was like some point in the year. Yeah. And, and, and we had to wait something like six months before we could sign on. So you just had to do like crappy building site jobs and shoplift and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So was this, so were you just, you'd just be around the South or would you, would like a few of you all go abroad to see a band or up North? <laughs> the first time I went abroad, I think I was about 14, 15. <laughs> wow. And a few of us decided to get the ferry to Sherbourne. In what was called then the booze cruises, because he used to go and get this duty free booze. <laughs> so there's like this gang of like five of us, I like guess, these five punk kids. And we got on the, we got the ports, I think it was, and got on the ferry, and we got pissed on the boat. This <laughs> cheap crap wine. And then, we, and then we got to Sherbourne, and they had to go through customs, and they basically arrested us at the French customs. Right. Made a stri- strip. Oh, God. And put this big lump of dope in one of my mate's pockets and then pulled it out and went, Look what do we have found? No. And I said, You just put it in his pocket. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I did not. <laughs> oh, no. So then we, we were locked up in this, this customs lock up garage for three days. Wow. Well, they kept trying to make us sign statements in French that we didn't know what it was. And in the end, they, they were putting guns to our heads and going, sign it. And I was going, and all the others signed it, and I was going, no. <laughs> and they, they said, we won't put you back on the boat until he signs it. And in the end, the rest of them said, Tim, for God's sake, just sign that thing. <laughs> and then we got, we got to the boat, and we're there. We're in the handcuffs, and we get taken on the boat, and the, all the passengers are waiting, and we get led to the bottom of the gangway, and the captain of the boat comes up to the top of the gangway and he puts his hands on his hips, looks down at these, these scruffy five punk kids and shakes his hands. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the French customs go, you will be remanded in a French prison until the consulate can come and see you. The captain doesn't want you. Oh, my goodness. And then this guy in a suit comes running down the gangway and goes up to my mate and goes, Jeremy, what are you doing here? And my, and my mate, my mate Jeremy goes, "Hello!" Like he's like really freaked out. Yeah. You can see his brain work. Yeah. He goes, "You remember me? I'm your dad's drinking buddy. He was a local village cop that had ended oh. up as a ship's policeman oh. Oh and used to God. drink at my mate's dad's pub in a village on the edge of Winchester. They used to have a lock-in together when he was the village cop." And so he took oh. he took took responsibility for us, and we were. What are the chances? No, no, no. But, but, that, but that's what I mean. Something always came along to save you. you know? <laughs> so that's why I kind of felt a bit invincible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't see you walking down in just shorts and a t-shirt today in the snow. <laughs> yeah, but I discovered the hard way that I wasn't oh. at a certain point. <laughs> oh. Wow, that is one hell of a story. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like next time you went back through France? 
You must have been... I didn't go for years and years and years. You know, as we were getting led out of this customs garage, they brought these two these two golf kids in from Liverpool. And they had the same lump of dope they were carrying in a bag in front of them. I it's said, don't worry, don't worry, guys. They'll let you out in about two days. <laughs> these kids were almost crying. You know? oh, they just weren't ready in Cherbourg, at least, for punks yeah. and, and goths as well. Yeah. <laughs> When did the um, European bands start coming over to the UK? Do you think the punk bands? God, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's possible some came over and I didn't see them. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you've got to remember a lot of things was just word of mouth yeah. and writing letters. Cause it, so you missed a lot of good stuff. Yeah, have you got good letters from like um, like buying records? And yeah, stuff well, like when, that? I, when I started sending off the records to, yeah. to Europe and America, but that was a bit later. Because what what happened at first was, you never had much money. I mean, you you, you were always skin. So what records you brought, it, it was important how much they were. And import records were always about three times the price of domestic yeah. records, unless they got distributed, like through you know Crass Records or yeah. Corpus Christi. So that's how a lot of people were turned on to Crucifix. Yeah. And, you know, of course, Dead Kennedys had great distribution over here mm. and at, at domestic prices. Same with DOA Records, later DOA Records, and, and quite a few other bands. So you, you could access some of it without paying more. Yeah. But a lot of bands, you know, you, if you wanted that record, it was going to cost you a lot more. So it, it meant, unfortunately, that we yeah. probably didn't hear a lot of great yeah, bands yeah, yeah, yeah. till quite a lot of years after their records came out. Yeah. yeah. And I think we're in truth, looking back on it, you know, I mean, we were really political kids. And I think we were a bit kind of, we didn't really get a lot of the kind of Americanism of punk, you know. Yeah. We, we got the Dead Kennedys because they were really political mm. and, and they were kind of English in their politics in a certain way. Yeah. We got Crucifix. They were like a crass band in a way, you know. Mm. We got DOA, you know. Yeah. But Black Flag was a bit confusing, you know. We, okay. didn't really, we didn't really know what they were on about, I think. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. TV party. I mean, you know, what was a TV party? You know? Yeah. You know, we, didn't, we didn't get irony, you know. Yeah, you just wanted a middle finger in your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We just, it was all a bit confusing for us. And all these bands, you know, singing about being oppressed as skateboarders, you know. I mean, well, we, yeah, we got that because some of us were into skating yeah. you know, and we got shit for being skaters. But but to sing a whole album's worth of songs about that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. was a bit, you know. I mean, we were into, like, the big causes. You, you, yeah, you, yeah. You know? I guess um, in those early 80s, a lot of those, like, hardcore bands were talking about, like, Reagan rather yeah. than, like, a system yeah. Where like, I guess the British stuff was more about systematic problems. Exactly. So we we weren't thinking of, you know, we we weren't we knew Thatcher was the enemy, but but we saw capitalism as the enemy. Yeah. yeah. You know, we we knew that. You know, we we was like, you know, whoever you vote for, government wins. You know, all the old anarchist <laughs> cliches. Yeah. I mean, I mean that was how we really fervently looked at life. You know, I mean maybe as you get older, you know, you you realise that. Maybe this 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 thing that you want is never going to happen in your lifetime, and and you do make certain compromises. Like you might vote for Corbyn as opposed to a, a yeah. right wing Tory government, you know, and you might do it with a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, but you know, you make those kind of compromises as an older person. But mm. 
Well, back then, I mean, we, we wouldn't compromise anything, yeah. we, you know. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that youthful well, passion. Yeah, 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 well, you yeah. had a gun to your head with a French man shouting yeah, yeah, and you exactly. barely compromised exactly, three exactly. days later. It's a point of principle. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read it. <laughs> uh, brilliant. So, um, so, yeah, by the mid-80s, that's when you, you've been in London for quite a while. Yeah, but I was still going backwards and forwards a fair bit and keeping yeah. in touch with a lot of people in the South, Southampton, Winchester, Portsmouth, you know. I was kind of like between places a lot, but but I think it all started to go a bit wrong for me around that time. Oh, okay. If I'm honest. And, and I think what, you know, I can see that... I think I think within the punk scene generally, we... We had these. We we were naive kids. Yeah. We literally thought we could change the whole world. Yeah. In a couple of years, and I think with with hindsight, we did change the world. Yeah. We influenced it. Yeah. We definitely left a kind of mark, but we didn't create some kind of anarchist <laughs> utopia. <Yeah>. You know. <laughs> and, and I think you know, with the idealism and the, and the kind of naivety of it. When we started to realise that it wasn't going to happen in the way we wanted it to happen and and things weren't happening, you know, Thatcher was keep getting elected, you know, the miners lost, you know, all, all this kind of thing. It was like, I think we all started to feel a bit depressed. Mm. And, and I think a lot of that angry, righteous energy that we'd felt, it started to get a bit turned in in various ways. And that kind of nihilistic side of punk, I think I kind of descended a little bit into that. Right. Really. I kind of lost my way. Yeah. And I was like, you know, just working on building sites and and drinking loads in the evening and going to gigs. But even then, I was not going to as many gigs. I was hanging out with people that were more just into getting wasted. and And then I was getting introduced to various drugs that... I mean, speed was always something that was always around, you know, right from the early days. Glue was a big one. Yeah. Various yeah. other solvents. And, and I was quite into the glue when I was about 12, 13. I was sniffing a lot of glue. I wonder if maybe my brain isn't as big as it should be because <laughs> it stunted my brain growth to too, too much glue sniffing. You know, and, and I loved that first UK subs album where, where they where he talks about you know all the, the, the different things that people sniff. Yeah, <laughs> like take off with Zoff, science fiction, for, sitting at the back of the picture show with Lady Esquire, <laughs> which is a shoe cleaner. She, oh, did, really? Yeah, yeah. It's all the, the Lady Esquire that UK subs album. all references yeah. to things that people used to sniff. Zoff, Lady Esquire. I just love that song. So you great. thought that was you'd have to tick them all off by the end of the year? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but don't forget. We didn't have the money, or I didn't. So I didn't really, couldn't even really afford booze. I mean, booze was a lot more expensive back then, relatively speaking, mm. I think. Yeah. And and so, you know, you would get a can of glue between five or six of you, and that, you'd be out of it all night. You wow. Know? So then, you know, I kind of I kind of like left that alone when the whole crass thing got really involved in that and the political thing. I was more active. And then I think I got back into things, not so much glue, but more out heavy alcohol. Yeah. And then I got introduced to heroin by people and all, all sorts of things. Yeah. And then I woke up. I was I was living in this bed sit on this guy's floor. We were on this building site together. 
Yeah. And I was sleeping on this floor, and I woke up in the middle of the night in screaming agony, and he called an ambulance. And it turned out I had acute pancreatitis, which is like an unbelievable pain. I didn't even know what your pancreas was no. until it went wrong. Probably most people don't. But anyway, it's an organ that can become very inflamed and can burst and die due, wow. to, due, due to alcohol. And so I was rushed to hospital and I was like on drips and they were going to carve me up. But luckily, it calmed down just before they carved me up. And... Um, yeah, and I, and I was in the hospital for about two months, two, three months. And, I, and by the time I came out, I was addicted to morphine because they were giving me all these painkillers. So then everyone I knew, who was basically a smackhead, discovered I had this morphine prescription. Right. And I had all these people like trying to swap me street heroin for, for morphine-based painkillers. And I just, I just kind of really lost my way. I gave yeah. up the booze because it would kill me, but mm. I was like hooked on morphine-based opiates and, and meddling around with street street heroin. And then and that was when I, I, I really discovered straight edge. Yeah. Because it was around that point. And I knew I was getting closer and closer to this kind of edge of the cliff. I was still ill. How old was you at this point? I was 22. Yeah. By the time it reached this point. And, uh, you know, the decline had been going on for quite a number of years. But, but by this point, I was 21, 20, just 22, I think. I, was, I wasn't really recovered from the illness, yeah. the pancreatitis. I couldn't eat properly. I was really skinny. I didn't, I was depressed. I was hooked on opiates, you know, I was like, not oh, the best place. Yeah. And I was just lost. And everyone I knew was kind of just messed. And, and it was at the time when all that new age traveller thing was going on and the brew crew and a lot of people that were on the road travelling and were following bands like Culture Shock and, okay. and, right, yeah. and RDF and all those kind of bands. Like really kind of was like a dark scene, I think. Pretty dark scene. Yeah. And a lot of those people were either addicted to like special brew type alcohol or, or heroin. Basically, and it was like that scene was permeating into the t city squat scenes, and it, it was kind of like it was a weird time, really weird time. And then, and then some people were like doing me tapes that were, weren't really lost to the booze, and that. But a few people I knew that were more positive. They were either straight edge, or they were kind of just more sensible. Yeah. And they were doing me tapes of bands like Minor Threat and Dag Nasty and, and all these really cool bands. Yeah. Know? So then I, I started to get into all these like, DC bands. And, and, and then soon after that, I got introduced to You For Today. Yeah, would that have been around the time that they that You For Today were... Yeah, it was, early, it, was, it was early on in You For Today. So you'd have seen them when yeah, they come to Europe. Them, yeah. So I saw them when they came over. And, what was it? I can't remember if it was 88 or 89 now. Didn't you tell me Polystyrene was at that gig or something? I'm sure Polystyrene was at that gig. I know it was her. Because, <laughs> Imagine, I can't I, even. <laughs> Imagine going to see you for today and Polystyrene's at the gig. You see, the thing was, Ray was writing to her. Ah. Because of the Krishna connection. Oh, ah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. Mate. I'm pretty sure she was at Shelter the first time. Oh, no. I'm pretty sure she was there. I'm pretty sure it was her. Yeah. But I'm sure it was her at Youth of Today. So was that, um, was it busy Youth Today? Were they popular in like London first time? Yeah, around? yeah, I think I think it was weird. I mean, Youth Today were controversial, I mean, for sure. I mean, a lot of, 
the nihilistic punks that were kind of lost to the booze yeah. and, and and those kind of new age traveller punks, those kind of, you know, brew crew types that were loosely punk. Yeah. They kind of hated the whole straight edge thing because <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like a, it's like holding up a mirror, isn't it? Oh god! Yeah. You know we're not going to fuck ourselves up. We're going to be positive and creative. And you're holding up this mirror to these people that are on this huge self-destructive trip, you know. And 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 so of course it made them angry. And a lot of my friends really turned on me. A lot of people I knew when you went sober. Yeah, yeah. First of, first of all, when I went sober. Just for not drinking, even though alcohol would kill me, yeah. they turned on me. And then when I became straight, they turned on me all over again because <laughs> it was like a, yeah. a further affront to them, you know. But, but you know, you, if you look at it in, in the context of what was, you know, I think the energy of what was happening, you know, we had all this righteous anger. And it yeah. was mixed up with a kind of innocent, youthful idealism. It was kind of mix of both. And that when that got turned in, you have to also remember so many of us came from really messed up backgrounds, yeah, in various different ways, and so we weren't dealing with anything we'd been through. We yeah. were projecting it all outwards, and I think that was the point when I when I gave everything up, when I got into strategy and I gave everything up. That was the moment I knew I had to kind of start addressing what was going on in me at a deeper level. Yeah. Okay. And it's bizarre because I started to get into things like Qigong and Tai Chi and meditation and acupuncture at the same time as Ray and Purcell and all that were getting into <laughs> Krishna consciousness. <laughs> now, I wasn't into that. No, was it none of it ever that appealing? To, did any of it get you at the time? Well, I, I'm, I mean, I may have loosely had similar ideas to them in terms of the spiritual the spirit, deeper spiritual truths but not of through, reality, but not through Krishna as a path mm. at all. For me, it was an ugly thing, if I'm honest. It yeah. was it was more like an organised religion. It felt very controlling. I thought they looked stupid, to be honest, to be blunt. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know? I think they misunderstood when Krishna says, take your shirt off, he means, like, peel away your ego. He doesn't mean literally take your shirt off. <laughs> And walk around Oxford Street half naked in some orange robe. Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, if that's what they're happy with, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But it wasn't my it wasn't my path. I mean, you got to remember, you know, I'm a punk kid. I mean, I've got this like rebellious ethos. I can't <laughs> surrender to a, an organised religion. Yeah, you know, whatever it is. You know, so I'm there and I'm I'm, I'm getting into meditation and all this, and I'm thinking, well. What is it I'm doing? At a certain point, I'm, thinking, I'm questioning what it is I'm doing. And then it, it dawned on me, it's all about freedom. It's always been about freedom. And and if for years I was fighting for some kind of societal freedom and the freedom to express myself as a punk kid and the freedom to go mad at gigs and do what yeah, we want, yeah. now I'm looking for some kind of inner freedom as well, for inner freedom from... My own dysfunction, you know, mm. to not be controlled by my own dysfunction. Did you find other friends that were going through the same thing at the same time, or was it quite a lonely no. position? No. <laughs> yeah. Most of them I'd lost the plot. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, because that, a lot of them were good friends. Yeah. You know, they're like, they would say things like the classic line was, I have no idea what it is you're doing, but I can see it's making you happy, so that I'm fine with that. 
Like they, that was them giving me some kind that of blessing, slightly patronising yeah. blessing, you know what I mean? But, you know, I mean, it, it, you have to follow yourself. I yeah. mean, you know, in the same way I had to follow myself to be a punk kid, I had to follow myself to, 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 to kind of start investigating what I would call, you know, the essence of spirituality, which has got nothing to do with religion at yeah, all, yeah. you know? And so that was like the next stage, in a way, of my development. And weirdly, Ray and Paul Sell were on some kind of weirdly parallel path, <laughs> yeah. but wearing orange. So, you know, it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> So was you able to... Did you find just a new type, like... Did you have to distance yourself from punk, or were you fortunate enough to find, like, certain things that you're like, oh, this is talking to what I'm doing as well? Yeah, it's a good question, Sean, because I, I think what, what I did was I did disassociate myself a bit for a while. Not yeah. completely, yeah, but I did for quite a while, and I think it was because I needed to kind of leave something behind a bit in order to kind of make sense of what was going on. Yeah, you needed space for yourself. Exactly. And, and and I don't know, I'm sure you've both been through this, where you you sometimes have to leave something a bit behind and then you come back to it with a different in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You come back to it fresh. And and what I had to leave behind was the kind of nihilistic, destructive side of it. Because, you know, punk to me when it started was was about many things. But I realised that one of those was a little bit, one aspect of that was a bit destructive, a bit self-destructive. There was that part in me already, that part that wouldn't sign the form with the policeman's (laughs) gun at my head. You know, there's that part, go on, shoot me, I don't care. You know, it's that that part of me got worse and worse. And and somehow punk was bound up in that or bound up with it. And I think what I had to do was leave it for a while so that I could come back to punk and, and, and connect again with it, but with the positive side of it, what, what I felt was healthy and good about it. Yeah. And it was weird. When I did that, it, I started to connect with different people within punk. Okay, yeah, someone that you may have already always been there, but you could, you like, got... They got you, you got yeah, them. Yeah, you get you're in a different you're in different you're somewhere a little bit more similar in your in your way of being. And I, I started to connect with younger kids as well, younger yeah. guys. So there was all these straight edge guys that came through, like Clifford. Do you, do you know Clifford, the Sri Lankan kid, the I, I guys that goes to shows? Do you remember yeah, that? He's got that. an awesome nineties T shirt collection. I've, I've... I don't know what. And there's what Darren Bourne, Darren Bourne from, uh, from Brighton. Brighton. Yeah. I mean, these guys were all like super straight edge kids when they came in. They're really into the whole nineties thing, mm. late eighties, nineties thing. And so I connected with all these guys that were like really enthusiastic and and you know fresh in a way. Yeah. And that kind of fitted with you know where I was at. I wanted something more positive from yeah. punk. Can tell that now because Darren, like he still goes to shows, still film shows, does stuff in the scene. Except he drinks a lot. Yeah, well. He once said to me, he signed a letter to me. It was pre-internet. He signed a letter to me, straight edge to my girlfriend, to, until my girlfriend left me. Oh, no. That's how, that's how he signed a letter to me. Well, he knew. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's um, one thing that I've always thought was, like, great, is that... Um, there's so many people yeah. from so many that I see at so many different shows mm. that you're all friends with and you yeah. you have like that 
real um, bond and interaction with, mm. and they're all coming from different places. Yeah. Um, for different reasons, different personalities, yeah. Yeah. and you were able to connect with yeah. so many people, and that makes sense to me because yeah. when you talk about you know one being comfortable finding yourself and being comfortable yeah. with what that is, yeah, and also there's so many different people who have gone yeah. through so many different things and are, that you yeah that you've been there with and you've seen yeah it, uh, well i think uh, thanks for that Sean. and I, and i think it, it, I, t- I tend to think that if if we try and stay kind of open in in ourselves in a certain way sort of open to life we we tend to to find and and connect with what we're looking for so when I came back into punk again, you know, I didn't never completely left it. Yeah. But, but when I came back into it in a kind of slightly different way, so then I encounter people that are kind of a bit different than the people that I'd kind of needed to make some distance from. Yeah. You know? And so then I encounter this this wave of straight-edge kids. They're a little younger than me, but they're coming through, you know, like Clifford and Darren. And then and then later on I encounter another wave of kind of straight-edge kids like 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 yourself, Guy, and Sam mm. Knight and the abolition guys, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you kind of meet who you need to meet, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I still know loads of people from back in the day. And and I stay in touch, you know, to some degree a lot with, with, with people from way, way back. And then people that I've known from sort of the 80s times and the 90s times. And I, I've, always try, I've always tried to take the, the position that being older doesn't make you better. And so it does mean that maybe you see more alive. It doesn't necessarily mean you're wiser, but it does mean you maybe yeah. see more alive in certain ways. Or certainly you see maybe things, different phases of, of culture and history. Yeah. But, but it doesn't make you better. So I've always thought, okay, I can learn something from the younger people in punk. I've, I've always thought that. Yeah. You know, and... and, and you know, Sam and yourself, Kai and Sean, you know, you you always tell me about new bands. You say, oh, check out this band. And, mm. You know, have you, che- do you know about this? Did you know about that? You know, so I feel like it kind of helps me to kind of stay a bit connected to yeah, what's yeah. happening. Because I don't, I don't want to be one of those people that goes to reunion shows <laughs> yeah. and watches guys in their 50s make complete fools of themselves (laughs) you know i just don't want to do that i mean i'm not nothing against that and i do go to the occasional reunion show okay i'm not like (laughs) stating some like really fixed position (laughs) here but 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 i don't want it to just be about that i I like that kind of freshness Mm. you know it was really important for me when i think i met you probably like you accused me of being Sam Knight's father the first time. Yeah, I, I might have. I might have. I was, <laughs> I'm still yeah. not sure I've forgiven you fully. <laughs> you were so chummy. What was I to think? But I remember even like, so my friendship group, we started going to shows when we were like 14, 15, yeah. 16. And the 18-year-olds would take the piss out of us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we were yeah. posers and what? Straight edge, yeah. oh, they'll break in a year. Yeah. All right, they're right about most of us. But do you know what I mean? Like there was that <laughs> pressure that you get in subcultures with young people. But I met you and I was thinking, oh, my God, here's this guy who's been going to shows forever. And he's really nice and he's not condescending in the way that yeah. a lot of like punk men can be yeah, and they yeah, want to yeah. tell you everything and they want to check yeah. that you know what year every record yeah. was released you just there was like a genuine like friendship and wanting yeah, yeah. to share and learn from us too yeah. which and i honestly don't think i would have carried on going to shows because it could be so hostile yeah, and yeah. it could be a bit of a like 
who knows this and who's who does this call and what what's better yeah. from this person or whatever. But you were one of those people that really kept me engaged and mm. thinking like, okay, this is I like this and this is something I could be into. Well, it's interesting because I had almost the same experience in a different way because I, I was like going to these shows and seeing these younger bands. You know, American bands would tour, you know, like Go It Alone and all these kind yeah. of bands. And I'd go and, I, and for a while I didn't know anyone. And occasionally a few older people would be there that I, I knew from before and that was cool. And sometimes I'd be there and I'd think, I don't know anyone here. Everyone's mm. so young. And I don't really get what, you know, I don't know how to talk to them. Maybe I shouldn't be going to this. Oh, no. maybe, maybe I'm too old for this. <laughs> maybe this is almost kind of dodgy, you know. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, there's like 13, 14-year-olds here, you know. Maybe this is really suspect behaviour, you know. And I'm thinking, but I like this. I like what's happening. I like the freshness of some of yeah. these bands. And Okay, you know, I love seeing you for a day in Grilla Biscuits, but I liked a lot of that particular wave of straight edge. Yeah. You know, go it alone and ten yard fight and all that kind of. I liked a lot of that period. So I was thinking, well, you know, what do I do here? And that, and then I met um, Anna Clark, that became Eric Clark, and um, her boyfriend Dave Logan and Sam Knight. Mm-hmm. And and I stayed quite close with Sam. We talked, you know, communicating all the time and sending each other like texts and well actually it wasn't text I don't think I had a mobile still at that point (laughs) but emails about bands to check out and then I met you and I met Charlie and Jake and Nick and all all, all these people so then I started to feel like these kids you know they're they're nice kids you know they're they're quite friendly and welcoming and I don't have to feel weird about being like more than twice their age yeah So you're having these thoughts about, you know, do I want to be in this thing? I was yeah. having them for different reasons. <laughs> so then meeting you you guys, you know, that, that helped me stay, mm. actually. It really helped That's me good to stay. Hear. Yeah, yeah, it was really <laughs> important. It was so important for me, meeting that group, that period group that I met, that you were a part of, mm. you know. It was really important. And then I think I met you, Sean, a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, he's another really positive, nice guy. You know, there was this kind of, you know, easy kind of talking, you know. And, and there was still some kids that I thought, you know, some of these kids are a bit kind of off, you know. <laughs> I, you know, like you got that guy that used to go to all those kind of... Um, the L- beat, beat down. Beat down, so that big tall the kid. The spin, kicky kid. Yeah, yeah, people like that. Just, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't think I, I, knew re- exactly I, don't think I really need to be friends <laughs> with this guy, you know what I mean? But, but I did start to meet a lot of really nice people. Yeah. You know? So I kind of feel like, you know, for me, punk's been like, I can break it down to kind of stages. Now, there's overlap. But there's been really distinct stages for for you in yeah. in general, yeah. Your um, right from seventy seven right the way through to now, you yeah. Know, it's been distinct stages, and and there was the period where I, where I met all of you was a really distinct stage for me, you know, really distinct stage, and I think it kept me in there. And you know, it's like just just nice, like, like me and Sam have just sent off to Mukau Records for the Temperance LP, which Jim Mukau <laughs> has pressed onto vinyl. <laughs> And we're like two little kids excited. Yeah. There's anything about it. I mean, I wouldn't like to have that experience, miss that experience. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. like to not have that. I don't buy records all the time anymore. Yeah. 
the Temperance album is finally <laughs> on vinyl. And they say, there's this guy half my age, and we're both, like, excited little kids about yeah. this. Yeah, because you know? I know my friendship group hounded you when we were getting into punk because... Tim has every record. Well, that's a what new I was going to say. We should talk about. We should talk about the record collection. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness! Did that follow you around at squats, or when did that start? Well, of course, my first record collection was long gone. Apart from the Eater LP that a friend oh, had, luckily, which which interesting was probably worth one of the most of the records. <laughs> so that was. But then I, I didn't buy records for a while. You can imagine it oh. was hard to kind of start again. Yeah. And then I did start buying all the crass period stuff. And and they followed me around in squats and mostly got destroyed, oh, is the truth of it. Yeah. I mean, at times we were moving like every week. Yeah. yeah. It was just too a crazy, unstable life to have a good record collection in good condition. <laughs> so it wasn't until I had a more stable life and I was off the booze and I was, you know, much more stable. And then I started buying records again. And... and yeah, I've always been a bit obsessive. Yeah. What can, what can I say? You know, <laughs> right from the get go. So before records, it was other things. Yeah. It was glue Martin. mainly. Well, glue, <laughs> glue was a period. But you know, I was big into Marvel comics and yeah. all sorts of silly stuff. You know, and 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 then records. I was, you know, and, and I was weird about records. I would keep them really pristine, and you yeah. know, and then, so then it was hard to be in that brutal squatting environment and seeing <laughs> yeah. them getting destroyed yeah. by people, you know. You come home and they're all drunk playing your records oh, and they're scratching yeah. them and, you know. <laughs> Trying to play it cool. Yeah, yeah. There's but no I, way to. I was kind of lucky, though, because one of the first squats I lived in for a while, I was just shared a room with a kid that was really into reggae. Yeah. Big into reggae. Yeah. You know, and dub reggae particularly. So that was a good experience. That, that opened up a whole different yeah, kind of yeah. thing for me. And I already liked The Clash. Yeah. And, so, and The Ruts, when The Ruts mm. started. So there was that whole kind of, that was a nice experience. But yeah, you know, my record collection, it just kind of grew. And then when I got into a lot more of the American stuff, I got this such a kick out of putting $5 in an envelope and sending it to America. And getting this record back, there was sometime like a numbered friends edition, you know, yeah. sort of test pressing, and and this personal note from some random guy in some random <laughs> place in America, who's probably freaked out that some guy in England sent him five dollars. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like surreal, because like you know, it's like way before the internet, so you know, it was kind of there's a lot of trust involved in this process. Yeah, and of course, sometimes. You either got ripped off or sometimes maybe the kid didn't get the money. You, yeah. know, you, you don't really know. You kind of know it's a rip off when five of your friends say they never got anything <laughs> either. But yeah. but but yeah, it was great. So I ended up with these records that were nothing records that have since become something records. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that's the weirdness of it, isn't it? I remember um, listening to... An interview with Walter Shrifles where he talks about how he got into punk. Yeah. And this kid who was like a year or two older was like getting out of punk. Yeah. So gave him like this like stack of seven inches. And it's all the classics. Yeah. But of course, they weren't the classics. Then. No, they no, were that's just, the point. <laughs> he just gave it, he's like, yeah. now that is thousands of dollars. But he was just like, Yeah, there you go. I'm yeah. done with this now. Yeah. So there must be loads of those at home. Yeah. Yours. Yeah, I mean, I've got some nice, nice items for sure. But you know what I really like about my own record collection 
it's not the big hitters. Yeah. It's not the ones that you can buy for $500 on the eBay or Discogs or whatever. Yeah, those records may be great records. There's often good reason why they're classics. But the records I'm really pleased I've got are the really obscure bands that I think are amazing that no yeah. one else has even heard or cares about. Yeah. yeah. I think about that now with like yeah. all of the local London bands. I'm like, yeah. all right, I have to get this record because this is going to mean so much yeah. to me yeah. in yeah. 20 years when everyone's forgotten about this band. Yeah. Yeah. I want to have, this is a piece of my history, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's how I go with records. When I see a band live and sometimes I'll think, I probably won't listen to this record. Mm. But imagine in 20 years' time, where I'm looking through my records and I see that record and I think I'll stick that on because I saw them once at New River and they were yeah. great and <laughs> I thought I want to support the fact that they've come all the way here, yeah. written this record, I'll buy the record and I probably won't listen to it in two weeks' time but mate, when I'm looking through my records it will take me back to that evening. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that I, I, I loved about you know the whole record collecting thing is when you meet another person that's really into obscure bands and nerdy <laughs> bands, you know. And you go, oh, my God, you like them too, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's not that you're both into vaguely some similar punk genre. It's that you both like this band that no one else yeah, cares about. Yeah. And, of course, Sam Knight's brilliant for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even um, recently, I guess, um, I mean, they're not the most obscure and they're certainly having a bit of a revival. But I remember we were at a show and Moving Targets was on the PA. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. great re- great band. And then you were like, so yeah, I saw them twice over a weekend back in whenever, it, when, 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 when would that have been? Oh, God, I don't know, maybe 1990 <laughs> or something like yeah. that. Oh, yeah, they played twice. Yeah. <laughs> One weekend. Yeah. But like stuff like that is just like... Um, yeah, well, that's why... Um, well, to have you this evening and just in general... So all these, we'd be like, oh, do you know this record? Yeah, I saw them once. Uh. Yeah, they weren't very good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you, kill our dreams. But you know, you know, like just just as just as when you're you're like, you know, you're 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 too young to have maybe been to shows to have seen bands that toured that you now think are the great bands. Yeah, you know, like oh my god, I never saw you for a day in '89 or '88 yeah. or whatever it was, and I never saw these. You know. I feel the same like that about those first wave bands. Yeah. You always yeah. remember the band, the bands you never got to see. Yeah. It, everyone does. Especially the ones that are two or three years, just, yeah, yeah. just a little bit out of yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those bands that never played near to where I grew up and I never got to go to London. And, yeah. And see, those are the ones I remember. Or, or the fact that the idiot that put on Crucifix in Southampton never told anyone. You know, I mean, I'm still angry about that to this day. And about three people had the benefit of seeing them. You know, I mean, really? I mean, don't ever let me meet this person, please. You know? We don't even, we only vaguely know who he is. Sometimes, somehow he ended up putting on Crucifix and didn't tell anyone. You know, I mean, these are the things that burn a hole in you at the yeah. late at night when you remember them. You know? <laughs> it's not that you saw Gorilla Biscuits in their first tour. Those are, you know you've done that. You don't have to think about that. Yeah. It's, it's the ones you never got to see, you know. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> I guess we should probably start wrapping it up. Is there anything you you've burning to ask, Kai? Uh, maybe a bit about what you do day to day these days. Oh, Where yeah. are you at now? Because I think you've got a lot of cool interests and you live a very oh. nice life. 
Well, I, I basically have, have, have ended up, having kind of gone on some kind of journey myself, mm-hmm. I ended up at a certain point where I realised that I was kind of speaking to people and helping people without sort of doing it on a formal basis. I would just talk to people that I know, people that I care about, people that are friends, or people that I maybe don't even know sometimes. And then I, I realised that actually... I do seem to have kind of figured out just a few things. I don't yeah. make any bold claims, but I do think that there's something I can do that brings something positive, contribute something positive to this big thing we could call life or whatever, you know? And and it started to seem to me really important that I can do that, that I can contribute something good in in a way that makes sense for me, that relates to maybe some sort of gifts or skills that I either have or have developed. And so at a certain point, you know, a few people said to me, you need to do this formally now. You need to set yourself up like that formally. So I end up, you know, I end up like, you know, working with people individually and helping them with some quite deep stuff. But it's not like straightforward therapy. It has aspects Mm -hmm. of therapy to it, but it's... It's more from a kind of deeper spiritual understanding, but meets practical reality. Because for me, spirituality has to translate into meaningful practical benefits for a person. And then I have a group where I do some meditation and talking. And, you know, I do that every two weeks in my flat and, and things like that. And so... It's grown. It's just grown in its own way. And people seem to find me without any great effort on my part. Wow. And so I just kind of like, you know, I've come to the the, the the sort of feeling of, well, I've put down a lot of the angry stuff. I'm not saying there's not any still there, mm. but I've put down a lot of the angry stuff. And I, and I realised that, I realised one thing, that Crass, although they were meant to be the angriest punk band for a long time, they were actually full of love for humanity. Yeah. I've realised that. And I realised that actually that feels more like where I'm coming from now. Yeah. The, 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 the desire to destroy everything. Yeah. Not that maybe some things don't need destroying, but, you know, it's more about a sense of contributing something good in my own way. And my own way will always be at some level related to being a punk kid my whole life, really yeah. much. You yeah. know? So there will always be that part of me that's a punk kid, and that will influence the way I work with people you know, and the way I interact with people, whether it's through the work that I do or just in my kind of day-to-day social life. You know? And so that's what a large part of my day-to-day life is taken up with, that and seeing movies and going to gigs and things like that. Yeah. You've got a bit of an acting career yourself, haven't you? <laughs> I'm going to be in a film. <laughs> I am actually going to be yeah. in a film. Oh, what are you telling me? My mate's written his uh, first feature-length film, and it's a kind of art house gangster film. And I'm the main <laughs> gangster's main henchman. There's only about six people in the whole film. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. At the moment, we're trying to work out which tracksuit is appropriate for me to be... <laughs> He wants me to wear Kappa. I'm I'm thinking Adidas. <laughs> <laughs> and he 
said to me, I don't, you don't even need to act. I've written the part for you. Just be yourself. <laughs> Which I'm not quite sure how to take, really. <laughs> it's a compliment. It's a compliment. But we're hopeful to get um, support and funding from the Isle of Man Film Fund and film it on the Isle of Man later this year. Is it, has it got a name yet? It has. It's called... Oh my god! I Go on! I can't remember the time. <laughs> All right, if oh, we shit. find out, Sean will put it in there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll have to tell you. I can't remember the time. When it comes out, I'll um, put it on. Um, I'll I'll put it on an intro. Go okay, and see thanks. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, another one. Bod. Where's that name come from? <laughs> I was wondering when that. Was <laughs> Well, it, it, it was really weird because actually it predates punk, my nickname. A lot of people mm. think it's like a punk nickname. And it's true that I did meet a few bods during the punk, okay. you know, the, the kind of punk period where everyone had a bad nickname, like <laughs> Spider or, you know, it's a really ri- ridiculously bad nickname time. But mine come from, there was a, ch- a child's cartoon, kind of animation character who was called Bod. And he had this kind of small body and a big head. And there was a theme tune that goes... Do, 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 or something like that. You can find it on YouTube. And it was like a 10-minute or so children's thing for young kids. And at school, they seemed to decide that I look like this, this <laughs> character. And so I got this nickname, Bod, which I really hated. I oh, hated no. And then the punk thing started. So I already had this kind of punk nickname in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah. So it just kind of stuck and I never got rid of it. And at a certain point I thought, well, I'm a punk kid. It's all right. Yeah. It's kind of all right for a punk kid. You know? But weirdly, we had a teacher at Comprehensive School who also, and actually I think looked far more like this kid's character than me. <laughs> and he had the nickname Bob. But you got the cane if you called him it. Oh. But because he, all the teachers knew that I had this nickname as well, what the kids used to do was get me to walk in front of him. Right. And they go, bored! And he'd turn around and go, you're all for the cane. And they go... We're calling sit, hit that bod, sir, not you. We're calling that bod. And he knew he was being set up. Yeah. But it's very difficult for him to do anything about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's just been something that stuck. So I feel slightly schizophrenic in that a lot of people that know me as Tim have no idea that I've got this nickname, Bod. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And lots of people that know me as Bod have no idea that my name's Tim. What do you prefer? I don't really mind so much. I mean, if I meet someone now, I introduce myself as Tim. Yeah. But people that know me from way back, or particularly sort of punk scene people, I've no problem with them knowing me as bored, you know, because that's kind of how they reference me. Yeah. And in a way, it kind of makes sense. You know, that was, you know, very much my name all the time at that time. So on my Facebook page, I call myself... Tim Bod Dyson, because I know that loads of people from back in the day would want to find me when I first joined Facebook, yeah. and they did. But loads of them wouldn't put Tim Dyson because they wouldn't know that's my name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! Weirdly, I actually met a woman recently who's had the same nickname, Bod. She was called Bod. She was a Bod as well. Yeah, they reckon that she looked like this ch- children's TV character. <laughs> I felt sorry for her. Man, it's better to be called Bod as a guy. He was a boy for a star yeah. than Bod as a girl. I mean, that's harsh. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Um, 
anything that either of you want to add before we wrap? Um, maybe do you have any current bands that you're into? Like, pa- maybe not even passionately, but that you would go and see and that you're yeah. listening to at the yeah, minute? Because yeah, yeah, we've yeah. heard a lot about the early stuff, yeah, but yeah. what's piquing your interest at the minute? I like Stages in Faith a lot. Great band, yeah. Great band. Total moving target yeah. kind of influence, but but with some other stuff in there as well. I yeah. Think. I really like them. And uh, I actually think, I think they, I've heard they've broken up, but I thought Payday got really good. Yeah. I thought, you know, their first early stuff's good, but I thought they developed really well. Yeah, yeah they honed in. And live, I really like seeing them. Um, Frame of Mind, great band. Really like Frame of Mind. Um, who else? <laughs> <laughs> I like your band. With, don't, you uh, don't have to. You didn't have to. <laughs> no, do that. I, I wasn't do. looking for it. I do. The one with uh, S- Suki, isn't Spooky. it? Spooky. Spooky. I come to Suki. <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. It's like an angrier Spitboy. Yeah, you told me. I, I hadn't even listened to Spitboy yeah. when, when I played you the demo and you told me to check them out. I was like, I don't know how this passed me by. It's Ooh. like if Spitboy was a little bit more from New York or Boston or something like that. Yeah. It's. it's, it's Great band, Spitboy. And when I heard her vocals, it reminded me just a little bit of that. I really liked it. I did, well, and I saw you, the, I think, twice now. But the first time I saw it, I thought, this is good. It's like, <laughs> whoa, you know. Yeah. So I like that. Uh, I can't remember the name of the band. Necra. Necra. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is one of the things when you get to a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> Too many bands. Um, what else? Yeah, a lot of the bands I liked in the last few years seem to have split up. I liked Bird Calls. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. I, I, I often like the bands that Sam, Battle of the Wolves, Sam's. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, li- I liked, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff she's been Yeah, Battle of the Wolves, What's that new one Litch. called? New one, Savage Realm. Savage Realm. See, I, I haven't seen Savage Realm. I, I think they got think. a band camp. Right, okay. It's like Lich, but instead of the screamo parts, it's just metal. Okay, okay. So it's it's like... just, she's heading, inching further into metal with every band. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 like, I like human hands. Yeah. I like human hands. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. Oh, uh, Open City. Opens. Oh, the Danny Evans Oh, so good. So <laughs> yeah. good. So good. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's surprising. Maybe it's not that surprising, actually. It's Mike Kirsch worship, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and Mike Kirsch worship was Swiss worship, so they're <laughs> prolific already, aren't they? They've yeah, got yeah. loads out already. They're great, really good. They're like a project band, it's yeah, really yeah. cool. Yeah. Right, cool. Well, we'll wrap it there. Okay. Thank you so much for, like, um, Kai said actually when um we are. Rankai when I thought oh, do you know I should get I remember just Rankai as soon as I thought of it and Kyle was excited and then said um, she'd like to be part of it as well yeah. which has been yeah. great well, I thought I was just I meant like just to listen <laughs> but here I am no no it was no you were always meant to be part of it um, but then Kai also said it's good that um, and I'm not saying I'm the only one hopefully there's um, there's more people as well but to have your story yeah because there is, like, I'm sure we've only scratched the surface tonight. <laughs> but, like, yeah. to be able to document, yeah. like, so much, like you said earlier, like, the culture changes over time, history changes. Yeah. 
and it's yeah it was great to talk yeah i think your mm. perspective on things as well is so positive and a really unique take on stuff and i often i talk about you a lot when you're not there yeah. i'd be like oh you'd love to talk to my friend tim about this or <laughs> tim would have something to say about this and i want to like i wish i just had you at all times i could just pop you out and you could just be there to like say something wise to people when they need it but well I they think, can now so yeah, yeah i think yeah, yeah, yeah. this would be really nice for people to listen to even to people that aren't into punk per se but yeah, yeah. really incredible life story well, at the end of the day, we're, we're part of a human family, aren't we? Which is vastly bigger than punk. Yeah. Although yeah. punk is a very important part of that human family. <laughs> Brilliant. OK, thank you. And um, Thank you, Sean. Yes. Thank you for inviting me in, mate. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it. And I'm glad you were both here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. There we go. Hey, thanks so much for listening. This podcast was recorded by Liam Clayton. You can check him out on Twitter at Liam C Audio. The song you're listening to is by Kai's band Child's Pose. It's called CCMMD. It's just come out on 7 Inch on Nervous Energy Records. Check that out. Have a great month and I'll catch you soon. Right, right.